When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Detectives say the 32-year-old cold case was cracked with the help from a deck of cards. On each card, a different cold case, whether it be a wanted person, a missing person, or an unsolved murder. Well, investigators say a prison inmate saw the victim's face on one of the cold case playing cards and then tipped investigators off. The Bernalillo County Sheriff's Department had the cards made up at the suggestion of a former cold case detective. I'm Tommy Ray. Cold case card program I started here in Polk County has since grown across the U.S. This is not your ordinary deck of playing cards. These cards contain 52 unsolved cases, and with every hand that's played, the stakes are unusually high. They've been dealt to inmates across the nation, and investigators are hoping their tips will stack the odds in favor of the House. Now it's your turn. These victims have been dealt an unfair hand, and it's up to you to deal justice. Somebody, somewhere, has information that could be investigators' ace in the hole. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 9 of Dealing Justice. I'm Jennifer Dubasek. And I'm Lori Jennings. In today's episode, we learn about the disappearance of a 37-year-old mother of two, Pamela Ray. The abduction of Pamela Ray happened in the summer of 1992 from Panama City Beach, Florida. She's been missing for more than 28 years and her family has never stopped searching for her. Her sister Rhonda continues to search for her older sister and believes justice will one day prevail. The community of Panama City Beach also continues to search for Pamela Ray. Here is Amy Hoyt, veteran news anchor at WMBB in Panama City, Florida. I was working as a news anchor when the Pamela Ray case happened in 1992. Of course, Panama City Beach is a family-friendly resort. It was a shock. She had driven down here with her children, and for her to just disappear like that, of course, it made headlines for a very long time. This case was different, I think, in the fact that a young mother had just disappeared. Um, It was emotional. Um, Her parents would come down on the anniversary of her disappearance every August. They would come and hang her picture on telephone poles to ask people if they remembered anything, had they been here that year she disappeared. So we would do the story over and over every year. Panama City Beach isn't a large beach town, but it is a place where people come with their families. The beaches are some of the most beautiful in the world. And at that time, it was a driving destination. She had come down with her children. It's not a high crime area by any stretch of the imagination, especially back then. There's always going to be bad people that are going to create a problem from time to time, as we all know now, looking back 28 years later. But it was a pretty safe place. And so it was something that just was very frightening for her family and for the community. Even the locals wanted to help. Everybody wanted to get involved to see if they could remember anything. It was kind of an emotional roller coaster. Nobody ever wants to see that happen. I think people remember Pamela Ray. Those of us who have been around a while, when you say the name, everybody goes, yeah, I remember that. It's hard to believe it was still a mystery, that it's still unsolved. I think people would like to see closure for the community, but mostly for the family. I used to work with the Crime Stoppers organization through the news department. And we have a deck of cards that I've had for a number of years now. And she is one of the unsolved cases in that deck. I think it's a good way to keep 
the case is alive. It's a simple way to look at it with the name, the face, the date. It's helpful because memories get lost sometimes and cases run together. So it's a good way to remember who went missing or who was a victim of crime on such and so date. And you never know when a crime is going to be solved. And so we hope beyond all hope that this will be solved eventually, both again for her family, the Pamela Ray family, and the community of Panama City Beach. Here is retired FDLE agent and creator of the cold case playing cards, Tommy Ray. We know initially the cards were only given to the inmates, uh, first in local jails, then statewide in prisons, and you know spread to like 15 other states now. And it was always the inmates, but now the cases are being made available for the public. So public can reach out and Crime Stoppers is the way they're giving out a lot of these cards. And uh, they were also given to probation officers that uh, you know were giving them out. So the cards are becoming more and more available, which is good that it's spreading the word. And once you see something on a deck of cards, you don't forget it. And it kind of sticks in your mind. We would love to see the day where there are no faces to put on the cold case playing cards. But until that day comes, we will continue working with Tommy Ray and telling these stories in pursuit of dealing justice. Time for us to solve these cases one card at a time. Help us deal justice for Pamela Ray. This is Episode 9, The Pamela Ray Case, Nine of Clubs, Florida Deck. This episode of Dealing Justice brings us to Panama City Beach, Florida, where we discover the dark side of the Sunshine State. 37-year-old Pamela Ray grew up in Stockbridge, Georgia. She was raised in a loving home with a very close family. She was one of four children and the older sister to Rhonda. Here, Rhonda Bishop tells us about her beautiful big sister and their childhood. My name is Rhonda Bishop. I'm the younger sister of Pamela Ray. There were two girls and two boys. Pam was the oldest. I was the youngest. And then I had a brother, Tommy and Tony. We were all very, very close. We grew up in Stockbridge. We lived on Oak Conyers Road. That's where we all went to school at Stockbridge Elementary, Stockbridge Junior High and High School. We went on vacations every single year. And of course, Pam was five years older. She normally had to take me along with her when she would go out. (laughs) I can't say she always liked that idea, but I got to go anyway. She had long, long, beautiful, beautiful hair. And she would roll it every single night. It would take forever. She would roll her hair up. She would sleep on rollers. And then the next morning, she always made us late for school. Because once she undid her hair from the rollers, she didn't like it. So she would go get the ironing board out and put wax paper over her hair and iron it. I'm serious. After all that work of curling that hair... And I was like, I'm always going to be a tomboy. I am never going to that length of trouble. So she's taught me a lot in that sense because she was a girly girl. I wasn't. She was a great sister, and she loved her mom and dad very much. She loved her siblings. She wouldn't let anything. We couldn't do anything against our mom and dad because she would say, no, that's not right. You just, you don't do stuff like that. Pam is described by everyone as a girly girl who really loved her family and her hair. In the pictures of Pam, you can tell that she was a classic 80s beauty. She had big curly brown hair and a big smile to match it. We spoke with her best friend, Donna Denise, and she shares her memories of Pamela with us. Well, we were best friends in high school. We met, I think it was around sixth or seventh grade. We were friends all through high school. She was a great person. She was so much fun. She was beautiful. My mother used to make our dresses and we used to dress alike. Just a thing that we did. (laughs) 
We went to Florida. I went to Florida with her family and her little sister was my, like my little sister because I didn't have a little sister. So we went roller skating every single weekend. That was what we had in the little small town we grew up in. So we'd go roller skating and I had these broken down skates that, <laughs> and Pam had these beautiful skates with all, the thing was pom-poms. That was really big back then. And she had all these fancy pom-poms all over her skates. And she was just always just so neat and so pretty and just perfect. And occasionally we would go to a movie, but it was kind of far away. The closest mall was quite far from us. And they had a Chick-fil-A in there, which you didn't see that much of back then. So we would always have to go in there. It was so funny, too, because I remember the one thing about her is she put ketchup on Chick-fil-A. And I was like, that is the most disgusting thing. (laughs) But she liked it, and she always had to have ketchup on it, but that was fun. Her parents were so sweet, so caring. Pam, even back in the day when, because we grew up in the 70s when people would, like, sneak and smoke cigarettes and stuff like that, Pam never did that. She just just said, I'm not going to do it, and she wouldn't do it. Pam was a rule follower. She wasn't a wild teenager who liked to smoke or drink, and she was a family girl, even from a young age. That was clear to anyone who knew her, and growing up in a small town made her world seem so very small. Well, we moved to Stockbridge in like 1963. It was very small. There was one little grocery store in town. It looked completely different than it looks now. There was dirt roads everywhere. Of course, there was no Walmart. It was very small. You could get out and ride your bike, and nobody would ever worry about you. Just make Ah. sure you're home for dinner. Stockbridge is in Henry County, Georgia, and is part of the Atlanta metropolitan area, but is a far cry from the big city living of the ATL. As of the year 2000, the population was under 10,000, and back in the 70s and 80s, it was your average small town, and Pam was happy to call it home. She was a beautiful girl, and it didn't take her long to meet a boy who would really shake things up. She was in pageants and stuff like that. She twirled a baton, but she didn't do it for, like, school activities because she was too involved in the boyfriend thing. I don't really think she liked school too much. She didn't finish because she got married. Yep, that's right. Pam was 16 years old when she got married for the first time. It's mind-blowing, but in all fairness, it was the 70s. Her first marriage, she married my next-door neighbor. When she married Jerry, you know, her father cried walking her down the aisle. It was given they were going to get married when he graduated high school, and they did, and moved off to California because he was in the Air Force. So I didn't see her for quite a while, and then she showed back up at the school. I'd get a Christmas card, or we'd kind of stay in touch, and I... So to this day, I still have that Christmas card. You know, they were really young. Uh, Unfortunately, that didn't work out. She got married when she was almost 17. He was born in the Army. That was kind of real weird. And then that didn't last but a few years because, you know, guys that's in the Army, they have a career and they don't pay that much attention to their wives. So... My parents had to wind up going to get her, and then she came back home. The young couple had split up, and Pamela had come home. She had a brief second marriage, and then at 24, she married her husband, Mike. Together, Pam and Mike had their two children, Shane and Brandy. Pam was a dedicated mother and loved being a mom. According to friends and family, she ran a tight ship and liked to have things in order. She had her daughter... Brandy on the side of the road. She didn't make it to the hospital because she was too busy cleaning her house to go to the hospital. So her and Mike had to stop up under the bridge in Newnan before you get on the interstate. And that's where Brandy was born. She was a natural mother. She was such a good mommy. Eventually, Pam and Mike and Pam's entire family moved to Luthersville, Georgia where Pam's father started a small trucking company. The business grew, and running it became a family affair. My dad opened the business 
he had Mike in there. He had my brother Tommy in there. Tony drove a truck. My mom did the books, and Pam cleaned the office. So all of them was around the business, pretty well worked together for the next several years. And then we have our kids, and we all, we just, we do everything together. She loved Billy Ray Cyrus. So we went to Stone Mountain to one of his concerts. We take all the kids, Disney shows and all that stuff. We always went together. The only thing that we didn't do together, was, and I should have, that's the only regret I have in life, is not taking that trip with her. In the summer of 1992, Pamela was 37 years old. Her son Shane was 12 and her daughter Brandy was 5. And everything was going perfectly. It was August, and Pam wanted to squeeze in one last trip with her kids before school started. She had planned a trip to Panama City Beach, Florida, and tried to wrangle the entire crew to join her, but it wasn't meant to be. Rhonda explains. I knew about it a week, like a week before she was going to go. Brandy was going to go to kindergarten, and Pam wanted her to be able to get on the beach before she went to kindergarten. I had just been down there not long, long before that. I had just bought a house that year. So I was a single parent. I'm like, Pam, I really need to buy Jeremy some school clothes. So I'm not going to go this time. And then Pam's like, okay. And Mike couldn't go. He was going to go on a golf trip. So he couldn't go. And then that leaves her. She's like, well, I'm going to go. I already got everything set up, so I'm going to go. Pam's husband often had to work, and she was perfectly comfortable road tripping with just herself and the kids. But she was sure to plan ahead. She drove through the night while the kids were sleeping. And anticipating an early morning arrival, she made arrangements with the motel ahead of time. We had known about it for, I guess, like a week. Because we had called the hotel and talked to the guys because that's where I always stayed. I knew the guys. She was going to go stay at the White Motel. They were supposed to leave her a key in the mailbox. Only the key was not left in the mailbox. The day before her trip, Pamela made the rounds to see her family and tell all of them that she loved them. And she would see them as soon as she got back. But Pamela would never be back, and her family would never see her again. She came to my house the day before, the day before she left. She came by, she thought she came by my parents' house and my house. We'll be fine. That's what she said? Yeah. Rhonda, what was the last thing that you said to her? Be careful and have a safe trip, and I love you. August 11th, 1992. Pamela packs her blue 1991 Plymouth Sundance and leaves her house with Panama City Beach as her destination. She leaves late on the 11th and plans to drive through the night and arrive at the beach in the early morning hours. This was the normal routine for Pam and her family. But as we now know, nothing about this trip would turn out to be normal or routine. From the minute she left the house, it's something like any of us would do. My parents always took us in the middle of the night to Florida or anywhere else we went because we would be quiet because we would sleep all the way. And we always did that. We always would leave in the middle of the night, go to Panama City. We'll get there. They let us out. And we just get on the beach. August 12th, 1992. Sometime around 3.30 a.m., Pamela arrives as planned in Panama City Beach at the Wilhite Motel, which is also known as the White Motel. Pamela's 12-year-old son, Shane, and 5-year-old daughter, Brandy, are sleeping in the back of the car. Pamela gets out to check the mailbox for the key that she had arranged to be there, but there was no key. From what we understand, she went up to the hotel and checked the box to see if the key was in there. And she would check the door. Nobody was open, so she knocked on the door. 
and they finally come to the door, but it was the it wasn't the guy that normally works there, so he didn't know anything about it. Back then, I don't think they took notes like they do now. No cell phones, no nothing. So Pam had no choice but to wait in the middle of the night with her kids sleeping in the car. Several people reported seeing Pam standing by her car between 5 a.m. and 5.30 a.m. More than likely, she was anticipating the morning manager to arrive. But unfortunately, that was not who would greet Pam that Wednesday morning. The last eyewitness to Pamela Ray being seen alive were several people who saw her standing by her car and then following an unknown white male towards the pool area. One of those people was actually an off-duty Panama City Beach police officer working a second job as a security guard at an adjacent hotel. Wednesday, August 12, 8.30 a.m. The morning manager at the White Motel reports to work and discovers two children alone crying in the car in the parking lot with the doors locked. The manager calls the Panama City Beach police and they immediately report to the scene where they find the now hysterical children and some disturbing information. Pam's purse and money were also locked in the car. And several motel guests reported that they had heard screams for help right after the time Pam was last seen. Meanwhile, back in Georgia, Pam's sister Rhonda is at work and has no clue that life as she knows it is about to change. My office was in the basement of my parents' house. So I just happened to be in the kitchen fixing me something to eat, and the phone rang. My mother wasn't there. She was at the beauty shop. Mad was taking a trip or gone to the bank or something. I don't remember. But I got a call from Panama City, and they said, um, we can't locate your sister. We have her children, but we can't locate Pamela Ray. You have her children, and she's nowhere to be found. I knew something was wrong. I had to call everybody in. I had to call my mom and tell them that she had to come home right then. And I had to locate my daddy. And then I had to locate Mike. And him and I was flying out within the next couple of hours. It was all, it was just, just a shock. In a panic, Rhonda and Pam's husband, Mike, gather their thoughts long enough to coordinate an emergency trip to Panama City Beach. They arrive in Panama City by that afternoon and head straight to the police station. We landed. We went straight to the sheriff's department so we could connect with the children. We connected with the children, and then we immediately started answering questions. They said they didn't know what happened. They thought maybe she was just out frolicking. We're like, no, she wouldn't do that. Well, until we got there, they really didn't believe us. They thought she was just partying somewhere. I'm like, why would she leave her children? They said, you wouldn't believe it, but people do it every day. I said, well, that she wouldn't, she wouldn't do that. So we had to convince them that she was a good, decent person that wasn't going to leave her children. They immediately turned the kids over to us. It was scary because they... I just remember them asking, where's my mama? Where's my mama? I'm like, we don't know, baby, but we're going to find out. And I always promise, I'll find your mama. I promise, I'll find your mama. It was so strange. Where on earth could Pamela be? Friends, family, co-workers, anyone who knew Pamela knew she would never desert her children and leave them sleeping alone in a locked car. Families always tell us how confusing and overwhelming the situation is when a loved one goes missing. Can you imagine having to contain your emotions and fears long enough to get an action plan in order? But somehow, people managed to do it. Rhonda and her family were no different. The family was determined not to leave Panama City Beach without Pam. But as they got to work, so did Mother Nature. It's raining storming. It's so bad. 
the first few hours, you know, that someone's missing is very, very crucial as far as evidence or whatever. And I remember somebody getting us all these flyers together. And I remember we're just running around in the rain and we're handing Buddy a flyer that would take it. Then we called the rest of the family, like my brother Tony, he came down, and Tommy came down. So they were down there, and we were all just handing out flyers and searching and searching and searching. Rain continued to pound the Panama City Beach area for the next two days. Not only does that slow down a search, but it also washes away any possible evidence. Tommy Ray gives us some insight on the weather and investigations and how it can negatively affect it. How frustrating as an investigator for you if you are searching for evidence, how does the weather hinder an investigation like that? Well, you know, the weather as far as like, uh, especially rain, you know, with uh, destroyed possible shoe impressions, other evidence that may have been there, the weather can, uh, can destroy it. Even, you know, trace evidence, fibers and things like that gets washed away, especially if there's any kind of you know, heavy rain involved. Also, this is a very popular vacation destination. So between traffic and tourists and the weather, it seemed nothing could get worse. But it did. Lots of tourists. Oh, lots of tourists. As a matter of fact, people would stop because what they what they heard from that motel, the screams, the people said that when the police went there to investigate the hotel, they said they heard screams, but no one got up to see what it was or anything. People still tell me to this day, and I'm like, it just took one person. Why didn't somebody look out? But other than that, everything basically dried out as far as evidence it would have been washed away because of all the rain i had to get the kids home because they had to go to school so somebody had to get the kids home so they could go to school i mean when did it dawn on you that we're gonna have to go back to our lives back to georgia and leave here without my sister that was the hard part it was so so hard to leave that area knowing that you're leaving somebody, even, I mean, my dad, you know, we, we operated a small trucking company and he drove a truck and with him gone, it really, it hurt your business, but you can't say, well, you got to come home and drive this truck. His daughter's missing. It took us forever to get him to come home. He never wanted to leave without bringing her back. It was sad. And he died of a heart attack, but he really died of a broken heart. Pam's best friend, Donna. My brother found out. He called me and he said, Pam's missing, Donna. And I thought, well, we'll find her. You know, it's just going to be, they'll be quick and they'll, they'll find her. She'll, she'll be all right. And um, it, it just, it, they never did. Pamela June Ray has never been seen again. Her disappearance left behind so many broken hearts, but none greater than that of her two children, Shane and Brandy. Rhonda's family was never the same. What was once a big, happy, extended family who worked, laughed, and lived life together slowly evaporated over the years, one by one. Pam's mom, dad, and two brothers have since passed away. Her little sister, Rhonda, carries the family torch and the burden of solving the mystery behind Pam's disappearance. And in the year 2000, it looked as if a promising lead would finally bring answers the family so desperately needed. In 1996, William Alex Wells, a Florida inmate, led investigators to the Sandy Creek area in Panama City, Florida, where the body of 29-year-old Donna Callahan, who disappeared in 1989, was found. To avoid the death penalty, Wells confessed to kidnapping Callahan and implicated his half-brother, Mark Reby, as the killer. Both were sentenced to life in prison. While behind bars for Donna Callahan's murder, Reby confessed to hunting women in the Florida panhandle, abducting and killing them, leaving their bodies buried throughout the area. He confessed to an additional 12 murders, including the killing of Pamela Ray. 
In 2000, police returned in force to the Sandy Creek burial site where they found the body of Donna Callahan after cadaver dogs indicated the possible presence of another body and bones were indeed found, but they were not Pamela's. Here's the thing. When investigators asked Mark to offer proof of his involvement when killing Pam, he had some very convincing evidence. Reby said when he encountered Pamela, she was carrying one lone car key, as she was often known to do. Reby has since recanted his confession to Pamela's murder and has not been charged at this time. We reached out to Mark Reby to ask for an interview. He responded, but we were unable to interview him. And in keeping with our mission statement of this podcast, we wanted to keep the focus on Pamela herself and not on her alleged killer, unless he was willing to give information that would help bring her home. And he was unable to do so. I honestly don't see how somebody could do that to someone's family, not only our family, but lots of families, because this guy has killed, you know, multiple people. And they can only pin one murder on him. But there's several girls that's missing. They're having to go through the same thing. She was a great person. She was beautiful. I know her son, uh, they had a, a baby, so she would have been a grandmother, and she would have loved it. She would have been the best, and she would have been with her daughter. Her daughter looked so much like her. She would have just been living life and enjoying her kids, doing what all people, like what she should be doing, and being with her sister. She and her sister had such a close bond. And that would have, you know, that's what she would have been doing. The remaining family needs some kind of closure. That's all they're asking for. That, that, that's it. And if you got a heart, you got to let them have that. Here's a poem in honor of Pam's memory. I am part of the big and beautiful ocean, the waves and the tides, true life in motion. My soul is in the ever-changing seas. I am the mist that blows in the breeze. I am in the calm. I am part of the storm. I am in the sun rays, so golden and warm. I am all around you. I am still here. When you feel alone, please know I am near. Love is eternal, a light that's not gone. In the stillness you'll hear me. I will whisper my song. When you feel the pain because your heart grieves... Please know I am not lost. I am part of the seas. By Stephanie Laird. Thank you so much for joining us on Episode 9, The Pamela Ray Case. This case really bubbled to the top because I have a special connection with Panama City Beach. I am born and raised there, and I actually worked on the beach and had hadn't had contact with her dad when he had come in to the restaurant I was working in and was handing out flyers and looking for Pam. And I just always felt a special connection to this. And, and I have never forgotten that man. Oh, my gosh. So you really have a personal connection. And you must have really seen the pain and the desperation in his face looking for her. I mean, that must have been heartbreaking. It really was. He had her shirt on that had her picture on it. He had the flyers that he was passing out. And he, you know, he gave me a flyer and asked me to put it up in the restaurant. And it just, my heart melted for this man. You could just see his pain. And Pamela's sister Rhonda talks about that each time her dad would go down to Panama City Beach, which, by the way, was every chance he got, you know, that they had to beg him to come back. And how difficult that must be knowing you have a business or knowing that you have real life world things that have to get done, like paying bills. So, you know, my heart just goes out to Rhonda to know what they went through trying to get her dad to come home. He said each time leaving that place without her, he felt like a failure. And that's just heartbreaking. So here's the deal with this one. There were a couple of people that they had brought in. And, you know, it's tough. Panama City Beach is a beautiful place. I loved growing up there. I love that area. You know, but when it's spring break and summertime, there's lots of tourists and The weather's beautiful. So along with that comes transient people sometimes. And there were a couple of people that they looked into. Specifically, there was a man that was seen outside of the motel sitting 
during the time she went missing or around the time she went missing. And um, he was obviously brought in for questioning. However, that did not go anywhere. And, you know, and of course, that guy also had a record, an assault charge against him. But that did not seem to go anywhere. And of course, each time the Panama City Beach police would try to include Rhonda and her family in on the people that they were bringing in uh, in the investigation, there was a lot of ups and downs with that. And, you know, of course, Pamela's family were always calling Panama City Beach police and Rhonda and her family were diligently checking in and nothing really panned out. That is until 1998 when the name Mark Reby popped up on the radar. Here's how Mark Reby came to be on top of the list. His brother, Alex Wells, was in prison and was part of a Bible study group. And during that Bible study group, he confessed to um, murdering a woman. And, and that woman turned out to be Donna Callahan. Some of the people in the Bible study group had then turned it over to the police and told them about that. So when the police came to talk to Alex Wells, you know, he opened up, he told them about Donna Callahan. And then he said, you know, I have a brother named Mark Reby, and I think you may want to talk with him, not only about this one, because he also implicated Mark Reby in the murder of Donna Callahan along with himself. But then, you know, he said, I have a feeling you're going to want to talk to my brother and that he's going to have a lot to tell you. Alex Wells unfolded this crazy story. He says that him and his brother, Mark Reby, were looking to rob someone and they were in Chipley, Florida. They went to a convenience store where Donna Callahan was working as a cashier and she happened to be pregnant at the time. You know, it started out as a robbery and ended up um, where they kidnapped Donna Callahan and in the back of the car, Mark Reby apparently choked her, killing her and her unborn baby. And then they buried her in the Sandy Creek area. So Alex Wells eventually led them to the Sandy Creek area where they found the body of Donna Callahan. And that is where Alex told them that he did not actually kill Donna Callahan, that that was his brother, Mark Reby. So he kind of pointed police in the direction of his brother, Mark Reby. Wow. So when he got arrested, he started talking, right? That's what happened at first. He started talking. Yep. And then when the detective on the case went to Mark and asked him about this, Mark basically said, have a seat. I got a lot to tell you about. So Mark proceeded to tell them that he had killed a lot of women in the Florida Panhandle area. And unfortunately, Pamela Ray was one of those women. So he had confessed to 12 killings in the Florida Panhandle area, and they're all somewhat similar situations. So a lot of these girls were hanging out in the beach area, whether they were on vacation or on spring break or on a weekend trip, whatever it was, a lot of them found themselves that went there for a good time and then ended up dying at the hands of Mark Reby. So according to the detective, Mark confessed, saying basically... He and his wife were partying out at a place very popular in that area called La Vila, Club La Vila. So he and his wife. Wow. I know. It's hard to believe his wife was with him. But they were out partying and drinking and doing drugs. And um, they ran out of money. And so they didn't want to stop the party. So they hatched a plan to leave and go find somebody to, to rob. And they got into the car. So he and his wife were driving down on the Front Beach Road and they drove past Pamela standing outside of her car. Now remember, Pamela is standing outside of her car waiting for the morning manager. So Pamela is standing outside of her car. Mark Reby and his wife drive by. They see somebody standing out there and she looks like easy prey to them and she looks like somebody that they could rob. So he has his wife pull around the back of the motel. Now, this is not a big motel. It's not this big, huge area. But he has his wife pull around the back of the motel. And apparently, he says something to Pamela to lure her into the pool area. Now, remember, there were witnesses that say they remember seeing her um, walking towards a white male around the pool area. So we have no idea what he could have said to Pam 
Um, And then he could have been posing like the manager or he could have said, you know, whatever it was. He lured her just far enough away from the front of the road and then he pulled out a knife. And that makes perfect sense because, you know, she never would have went with him with her kids right there. She probably thought he was the manager or had a room or whatever it was. He pulled out the knife and then pulled her towards the car that he and his wife were driving. And this was a red Firebird that they were driving. So if anybody had seen anything besides just her, if the real story is somebody may remember, hey, I remember a red Firebird being around that area. Yes, the red Firebird. Which has never really been talked about. That is definitely something you want to remember in case you were in and around that area in 1992 by La Vila in the Wilhite Motel the car, they lure her in, which makes sense, again, because now the pieces of the puzzle are starting to come together. And then you remember that Mark Reby said the one lone car key, which her family says she didn't like to carry a lot of keys, so she had the one car key out and was probably standing outside of her car waiting on the manager. She gets lured back there. Now, cut to the police get called to the scene where two children are found locked in the car It just blows my mind that when the police get there and they start asking around, people staying in the motel, more than one or two, several people reported, we did hear somebody screaming to God for help. You know, specifically one guy said he heard, oh God, please help me. Several people said we heard screams uh, from a woman screaming for help. And nobody called the police. Now, in all fairness... There were no cell phones in these days, and there actually were no phones in the motel rooms. So somebody would have had to have opened up the window or the the blinds and went and inspected, had to have went out to a payphone and called 911. But, you know, it's so heartbreaking hearing her sister talk about what would have happened if one person would have investigated, opened the door, peeked around the corner, opened the blinds, what would have happened and, you know, where would this have been? Would it have went that far? It is just sad and heartbreaking to think about the what-ifs. Now, Mark pulls her into the car, according to his confession. His wife is driving. He pulls her into the car in the back seat. She didn't have any money on her because, remember, her money and her purse are locked in the car. And then he proceeds to say that when he was attacking her, she did beg him for her life and said, I have two children in the car. Just please let me go. And as we know, he didn't let her go. He strangled her in the back seat, according to his own confession. And then he went to an area where his family is from near Defuniac Springs. And that is where he says that he buried Pamela Ray. Now, he confessed all of this and even said where she was buried. But then he later recanted everything. Correct. So he has since recanted his confession And the police, unfortunately, did not feel that they had enough to go on to convict him in this case or even try him in it. He was charged with the Donna Callahan murder, and he is not supposed to be getting out of jail. So unfortunately, a lot of times what happened is if they feel that somebody is in jail for life, you know, to to take the extended time and resources, a.k.a. money, to try them on another case seems kind of pointless. I think the other families would beg to differ, but that is sometimes the reasoning. So um, Mark Reby is currently sitting in jail for the murder of Donna Callahan. He has still, they are still investigating some of the other murders that he has confessed to. So um, they did go and investigate the Defuniac Springs area where he said he buried the body. No body and no bones were found. That area is a very large area. I still think there's still work that can be done in that area. However, quite a few people think that what happened is that he went and moved the body whenever Alex Wells, his brother, had initially confessed. There is a phone call from prison that Alex Wells, his brother, made after the confession, right after he confessed. So they think that somehow... Mark Reby knew that the police were headed to that area and he went and moved the body. Now, here's the thing. They didn't just take Mark's confession and and run with it. Crazy enough, people will confess 
to being serial killers. Oh, they'll confess to other killings because they want that label. They know that they'll be on TV shows. They know that they'll be written about. So people will often falsely confess. And so the police are always leery of that. As we mentioned before, when they ask Mark, what proof do you have? You know, he comes up and says she was carrying one car key. Um, That's just too coincidental to not believe. So for anybody who was skeptical, I think when they heard that information, including her family, they pretty much feel like that seals the deal. How else would Mark Reby have known that Pamela is known to carry the one lone car key around? Wow, that is really huge. It's something that only the killer would know. Correct. That's exactly right. This is when everybody started to say, okay, we need to go search the property where his family is at near Defuniac Springs. And then the family, like we talked about before, had said that he had immediately, when he heard that his brother had had told them to come see him and that he had confessed that he had already moved the body. So he wasn't concerned with them checking his parents' property because, again, he had the knowledge of knowing that he had already moved Pamela's body. Okay, guys, here is where the story gets really twisted and crazy. All these years later, Jelena is Mark Reby's daughter, Throughout all of these years, Rhonda has written to Mark Reby. She is actually connected with his family. She has written to Mark and just begged him and asked him for any information or to come clean on where Pamela's body is at. And in the process of this, Rhonda has become friends with Mark's family, who she says are, are wonderful people, and especially his daughter, Jelena. Now, Jelena connects with Rhonda and they start going over the details. And Jelena has some interesting information to tell her. She says that right around that time, Jelena would have been, I think, four or five years old, that her dad came home and abruptly told them, we're moving to Illinois. He overnight packed up the family in a U-Haul. And she says distinctly that she remembers two bags being packed up and that they drove all night to get to Illinois. They left everything other than what they could put in the U-Haul overnight, packed up, drove to Illinois where he had family and a big wooded property up there. And Jelena tells Rhonda that we drove all night and we got there and he handed everybody a shovel and said, we have two holes to dig. Let's get started. Now, as you know, they did go and investigate that property They did search that property, and this has only been a few years ago that they went out there looking for a body. But again, it's big property, and so far nothing has come up. But that was only in 2019. So in 2020, I mean, there still could be some more properties to search. And this is important of why we do what we do is we talk about it, and the card is in the prison. That's how Donna Callahan's got solved was prisoners talking and going to authorities to say, this is what's happened. I mean, this is why these things can work. And it's so important. Absolutely. 100%. So you guys, here's some things to note. Panama City Beach, 1992, Front Beach Road, the Wilhite Motel, or also known as the White Motel, Club La Vila, a Red Thunderbird, and a 1991 Blue Pontiac Sunbird, which belonged to Pamela. So those are the things that we want to point out to you guys. And this happened in 1992 in Panama City Beach, Florida. So we just appreciate you listening. And we just ask if anybody knows or has any information to please, please come forward. Or if you knew his wife, if the story of him and his wife being involved is true. Remember, Crime Stoppers is anonymous. And maybe the wife talked to somebody. Maybe the wife has confessed to someone. Or maybe the wife herself wants to get it off of her chest to confess. Crime Stoppers is still anonymous no matter who you are, how involved you are, if you want to give information, especially to help find Pamela and bring her home. It's a special hurt for Rhonda, knowing that she is the sole survivor of her family now. So she feels the weight and the responsibility. Every parent we talk to, this is just the one thing on their deathbed that they ask for is just to know and just to have answers. So for Rhonda to have to say goodbye to her family members, knowing that they didn't have those answers here on earth. Obviously, they were reunited in heaven, but but not to have those answers before they left that this earth. It's just a special hurt for somebody like Rhonda. 
and what it would a lot of pressure for her, but she is doing such an amazing job by keeping her story out and really sharing that and being open and honest with us. And that's why this is so important that if you know something, please come forward and help Pamela Ray's family find answers. Anyone with information on this case can call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-226-TIPS. Thank you guys so much for listening. We just, again, um, we just pray for answers in this case. And we just ask for anybody out there, any information at all. You have no idea what it does to the family. And they talk about how each time there's a podcast or a TV show or anything that focuses attention, there's kind of a, a renewed hopefulness that happens. And so we would just love for this family to, to gain some closure and to be able to have answers. Again, we thank you guys so much for listening and a special thank you to WMBB and news anchor Amy Hoyt for her interview. And a special thank you to Liz Morgan PR out of Jacksonville, Florida. She's a rock star in the public relations world, and we're so happy to have her working with us at Dealing Justice. Like us on Facebook at Cold Case Playing Cards for all the latest information on this case and other cards we'll be featuring on future episodes. Dealing Justice is written, produced, and hosted by Jennifer Dubasak and myself, Lori Jennings. Our sound design is by John Schaub. Our executive consultant is the Cold Case Playing Cards creator, retired FDLE Special Agent Tommy Ray. If you want to help us spread the word about these victims' stories, please subscribe and leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast app. And tell your friends to subscribe. And we look forward to hanging out with you guys on Episode 10 of Dealing Justice. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.